to 1.37 p.m.'s Live from the Bar Cart. A look into the style, culture, strength, and grind of the modern day man. Welcome back to Live from the Bar Cart. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Belvedere Vodka. Our senior producer, Matt Bogart, went into a deep dive on all things mixology, bartending, and success behind the bar. Matt, uh, who did you get a chance to talk to? Yes, if you're launching your own line of liquor or a business that involves the liquor industry, then this episode is for you. I sat down with Belvedere brand ambassador Brian Stewart, who travels the country educating bartenders and mixologists on the amazing products Belvedere makes and fantastic recipes using their vodka, especially their new single estate rye series. For crafting a, a, a great cocktail, the first thing you always need to think about is balance. Yeah. It's just like anything in life. You want to make sure that things are balanced that way they kind of work each other out i then sat down with cody goldstein founder of muddling memories an innovative hospitality company specializing in beverage experiences cody told me all about how he was unhappy working as a financial advisor and gave up the big salary to follow his passion and start his own business his company tailors one-of-a-kind cocktail experiences and they go as far as altering the environment people drink in to evolve an entire new way to consume cocktails. For me, I just, I hit a breaking point where I was like, I need to do something where I can take my creative outlet and and like vomit it. You know what I mean? Like I just need to like, it was like inside of me and I was like, I got to let this out. And I did, you know, it was just, it was too, what I was doing was too linear. It was like too straightforward of what, you know, the creative aspect of finance or real estate or any corporate job. Then finally, I got a chance to talk with award-winning beverage director for Cork & Kerry, Doug Burkell. He's all about getting customers in the door by creating a one-of-a-kind cocktail experience that serves his customers at various levels. I mean, yes, I would much rather someone have a great time and a crappy drink. Sounds awesome. Let's take a listen. This is 137PM's Live from the Bar Cart. I'm senior producer Matt Bogart, and I'm sitting with Brian Stewart, who is a national brand ambassador for Belvedere. So you've been working in, let's say, restaurants and bars for the better half of 10 years? Uh, I started uh, working in restaurants, yeah, like 15 years ago. How'd you get into it? Uh, I needed to pay for college. That... Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I was living in Los Angeles. I was going to Long Beach State, and uh, I needed a way to pay for school. And uh, I got a job at a chain steakhouse, and I... Uh, Started working a curbside takeaway where people would call in, tell me their order, and I'd put it into the uh, bag and they'd pull up and I'd hand it to them, yeah. which led into uh, bussing tables, then serving tables. And then someone said to me, hey, I think you'd be pretty good behind the bar. So uh, I started to bar back a little bit and then uh, I got to get into this glorious world that was bartending and man, I, I instantly loved it. Not even knowing, you know, the kind of more craft element to it, but just the idea of like engaging with people and getting to talk to them on just whatever their day was like and to know that I might be able to improve their day slightly just by having a good attitude and feeding them a cocktail. Man, it was the best. I loved it. Now I'm considered a day walker. Okay. That's that's what like have you heard that term before? Apparently it's like a real uh like a New York City bar term is day walker for people who don't work in the industry. Man, you know, I've never heard that before, but I spent the better half of my career in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I don't mean um yeah, I don't. Th- I've never heard daywalker. That's good though. I like that. it's like because <laughs> you're you're uh, yeah because we're up at night all the time and we don't see the day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you now find a balance it. between or when you did it like between social life and working a bar till when's last call four a.m. Uh, in L.A. it's two. Um, and uh, when I was working in restaurants, it was a lot easier because I kind of just would go to eleven. But when I started working bars, particularly nightclubs, you really had to kind of focus on one getting sleep. Because you're just so amped uh, after a shift and just dealing with people, and you know you want to kind of self-medicate, which is never good. But you know having an extra cocktail or two before you go to bed, and then that leads into sleeping in longer. So you kind of one working out, like you have to find some kind of physical activity and that makes you one get up and get around. When I was in LA, I used to surf all the time. One because the cold water and the ocean would kind of wash away all the pains of the night before, <laughs> and it, it was a great it was a great workout as well. So uh, it really kind of helped me, and I, I developed a love for being in the water set really got me out of bed yeah. and like not going oh 
I'm just going to, you know, sleep until, you know, it's time to get up to take a shower for my shift. So definitely kind of finding some kind of physical activity that gets you out of your room, out of your living room and outside. And uh, I guess mixing amongst the uh, day walkers yeah. uh, is is a great way to kind of find that balance. Yeah, building a routine for pretty much we, at one three seven p.m. We like to look at everything through the lens of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like building a routine, especially you know in the bar business, is something that is a huge benefit. Totally, and it keeps you honest to what you're doing, where you're putting your time and your hours. Yeah, absolutely. Now going back to self medicating and cocktails, <laughs> always drink responsibly. <laughs> always drink responsibly. Uh, <laughs> Can you talk to me about like the secrets between for crafting one of those cocktails? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, definitely, uh, which I'm going to enjoy right oh, now. Please, yeah, we have two delicious Belvedere single estate cocktails right behind you. Um, yeah, for crafting a, a, a great cocktail, the first thing you always need to think about is balance. Yeah, it's just like anything in life. You want to make sure that things are balanced. That way, they kind of work each other out. So, uh, you know, if you start with a spirit, and let's say, you know, oh, I really like, you know, when my drinks are heavy. You put too much vodka in the glass, and you don't have enough of the other mixers. All you're gonna taste is the vodka. Your balance is lost. So, finding that balance and starting off from making great cocktails is to really kind of learn it before you get into the nuances of everything. Is find equal parts. So start with one and a half ounces of your spirit, and then let's say three quarters of lime, three quarters of simple syrup, shake that up, strain it into a glass. You have a deliciously balanced cocktail, which starts your palate to kind of figure out what things are. It's just like cooking. If you taste sugar in a kind of like a syrup, simple syrup as we call it, versus honey syrup, honey syrup's going to be a little bit sweeter than your simple syrup, so you have to use less of it. Yeah. Those are the nuances of finding great crafted cocktails. And then always ingredients. Key ingredients are top notch. You know, we, we have a saying that, you know, it's death before sour mix, like, Sour mix is this, you know, that the pre-bought just chemical induced sour mix is no good. Stay away from that stuff. You wouldn't eat it. You know, you wouldn't eat that <laughs> fake stuff that goes into your food. So why would you do it with your cocktails? The cocktails should be the exact same way. Find uh, premium ingredients, premium fruits, and I got to tell you now, that I live it's on like the a holistic coast. approach to like creating a a beverage pretty yeah, much yeah totally. or, or, or or a fine meal you know yeah. it's like just like you know a michelin star chef would not use sour mix you know you shouldn't use it in your cocktail either and when you when you create a cocktail or a drink what is going through your head like what are you thinking about when you're doing it oh man um whenever i create a cocktail uh my first thought is what am i going to make where people are going to want to drink more than one um, responsibly. Responsibly. Well, I mean, you know, most people when they go out to a bar, they're going to have one, uh, two, maybe three cocktails. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, I think a lot of times when, you know, for instance, when I was making cocktails for competitions, I would think of these off-the-wall ingredients that made it really spectacular and special and judges would go, oh, my God, this is incredible. But you would never drink more than one. So my first thought is, okay, in making this cocktail, have I made the ingredients, um, you know, easy to get? Uh, not overwhelming, and would I have more than one of these? That's my first thought. So in that thought, I always kind of start with simple citrus being lime or uh, lemon, and I don't go too far from those. I mean, there's always kind of instances in that case. but uh, And then from there, my idea is, oh, what kind of emotion is this evoking? Like, am I, oh, is this a sort of laid-back kind of relaxed emotion, or is this kind of like I'm up and airy and I'm around and talking to people and it looks good in my hand kind of emotion? So... Those are, the, those are the things that I play into. And the other thing that I always start when creating a cocktail is I, I keep my thoughts based in the classics. Like I don't far too far from the classics. And most of the things that I've studied over the times that I've gotten into the bar has to do a lot with classic cocktails. And I innovate from there. You know, bartenders today, they're doing a lot of cool stuff. And there's a lot of amazing thing happening in bars that is molecular and scientific and outstanding. But the reality is, is that we're not inventing the wheel. We're revisiting it. Like a lot of the stuff was going down in the early 1900s, late 1800s, and we're getting back into it. But because of the technology that's around, people have never had cocktails this good in that sense that the science is there, our, our knowledge of flavors is there. And so it's really an exciting time. For so when you say you're revisiting the wheel, it's just because we have different, I guess, technology as opposed to reinventing classics. Yeah. Well, or yeah, making exactly. Classics so, better? Well, totally. So like, let's say that, you know, I put together a cocktail that has uh, lime and um, simple syrup and uh, outstanding, I don't know, um, strawberry that can only be found in the West Indies because of its amazing flavors. And I add a little bit of sherry to it. Uh, and I'm uh, you know, mixing that with rum and I shake it and I serve it up. Well, that's kind of a variation on the daiquiri. 
you know, there's different ingredients that you've added to it, but it's a variation of a daiquiri or a sour cocktail in a lot of ways. Or stirred cocktails that go over the rocks. That is a variation of an old-fashioned. So there are variations of things that have been around. It's becoming very hard to create a new style of cocktail because they kind of have the five major groups that are sitting there, and we're, you know, uh, innovating from that. Now, not to say that, you know, making new cocktails is impossible. I mean, there's new cocktails being made every day, but they are slightly variations of stuff that has come before. Whenever I talk to people about inventing cocktails or coming up with cocktails, it's just get to know your classics first. Get to know what was working before yeah. you want to shove 17 ingredients into a cocktail <laughs> that you might not taste all of them. Uh, and now that you said you're you're part of the you're on the brand side now, what does a brand ambassador do? Like what what is the function in the greater scheme of liquor? That's a great question because I think there's really a lot of different types of brand ambassadors. Um, It was a big thing for me when I decided not to bartend anymore that I didn't want to get into a position where I was just selling a product. Because the idea of sales is fine, but it's not me as a brand ambassador. And I would be the first one to tell you that there's sales to any part of your job. You're selling something, particularly when you're representing it. Um, but my focus and my passion is in education and cocktail development. And when I came to uh, Belvedere Vodka, they were very, they were also aligned with this thinking and we got along great. So that gets into the conversation of what does a brand ambassador do? I'm in, I go around the country. I talk to bartenders about one are the education of Belvedere, who we are as a brand, our history, what goes into us. And then I also, my other job is to connect with bartenders because you know, if you're working for a spirit company, uh, you know, the first people who kind of handle your drinks and give it to the public are bartenders. And we have to make sure that we have a clear kind of conversation with them. And I think that's the biggest part of a brand ambassador. It's making sure that the brand is not losing touch with the people who are behind the bar or the stick, as we like to call it. And uh, <laughs> making sure that, you know, there's this clear connect because, you know, there was I think there was this time just particularly when I was kind of deciding to come out of the bar where brands were just throwing anything and everything at you in the sense of like, oh, you're the great and check out this new product. Well, what goes into it? I don't really know. How do you not know? Like, I mean, those, those, those dates are long gone. I think the brand ambassadors are out now and the people who have been doing it for a long time never were in that spot of like, oh, I don't know. Their knowledge is key. And um, representing a brand, uh, you have to really make sure that you're still really well connected with the bartenders. Now, there's the other side of that where a brand ambassador has all the knowledge. They've never bartended a day in their life, but they're really good at telling the story of their spirit and they, you know as long as it's an honest true story and you're passionate about it you'll be a phenomenal brand ambassador what made you transition from uh you were a bar manager at uh uh i was i was uh managing the, the weho soho house in so- west yeah. in west hollywood uh, soho weho i'm like i got really tongue-tied with that one. yeah 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 soho yeah soho house west hollywood <laughs> um which is a phenomenal uh, I mean, listen, I, I owe a lot to the Soho House. I mean, meeting my mentor, Chris Ojeda, um, they really set me up to kind of get into this. But the transition really came from me, one, I never, I was always that bartender saying, I'm never going to work for a brand. I'm going to just stay behind this bar forever, maybe open up my own bar, and psh, that's it. And I had a couple offers come across the table to work for other brands, great brands, but it's just that I couldn't get behind them fully. And then all of a sudden, I heard that uh, Moet Hennessy was putting together a mixology team. And these, the focus was to re-engage the trade with outstanding bartenders talking to their community. And I was kind of like, okay, this is not that idea that I have in my head of just doing sales. Like I get to still be creative, which is yeah. huge to me. One, I've always, always loved everything about Moat Hennessy and their products and their idea of what behind goes behind them. And then, uh, so I worked with them for two years on uh, more of a brand side and working with the portfolio of everything they have in there. And then the opportunity to become the national ambassador for Belvedere came up. And Belvedere has always been a secret love of mine, meaning that when you're a bartender, particularly, uh, you know, 2010, 2011, it wasn't cool to like vodka. You had to, like, hide how much you liked vodka. So I went out with my friends. I was like, oh, this rye, these bourbons are incredible. And then I'd go home and stir myself a vodka martini in private. Uh, also, it was the only vodka my wife uh, ever drank since I met her, even before I started working for the company. So we've always had Belvedere in the house. And um, it was just even more of an easy transition for me to kind of get behind this brand and to tell their story. Cool. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. You're a good liar. <laughs> Never. Wow, that guy is meticulous. He really knows how to balance a cocktail and the nuances of every ingredient. I thought it was very unique how he compared the creation of a cocktail to a fine three-course meal. If you like that, you're going to love our next guest. Cody Goldstein's Muddling Memories goes above and beyond when creating experiences around cocktails. It's not just about... 
It's not just about the drink, it's about everything from how the bar looks and smells to the glass where you serve the cocktail in. Awesome. Let's take a listen. Uh, you're listening live from the Bar Cart. I'm uh, senior podcast producer Matt Bogart, and right now I'm with Cody Goldstein, and you might follow him on Instagram under Muddling Memories. Cody, welcome to Live from the Bar Cart. Thanks for having me. Even if you don't drink, I was showing my fiance your Instagram profile, and she goes, it's absolutely wonderful to look at. Thank you. And you view Instagram as a, a way to not only market yourself, but this brand you're creating where it's you're the Willy Wonka of cocktails. <laughs> somebody somebody said that in an article once. Um, I've read it in three articles. Yeah, so well, it's, must... actually, it's it's funny, actually. We are previous, one of, we, know, we do a lot of pop-up bars, and our last pop-up bar happened to be a Willy Wonka-themed pop-up bar. Ah. So it's all things Willy Wonka. Uh, and I have a very good relationship with a hat company called Goran Brothers in the city. And so, as you can see, I, hats have kind of become my signature. Uh, and they surprised me with a... 12, only 12 made limited edition, actual authentic Willy Wonka hat with a rabbit inside, Ooh. which was pretty amazing. And so uh, I keep it on my nightstand and it just kind of reminds me to always stay creative and, you know, well, humbled. Let's talk about Instagram and how you kind of use it. Um, and you've said before you make drinks that are appealing to Instagram and that everything you post there is definitely intentional. Mm -hmm. How did you come with this, come at the approach of making these drinks look good for Instagram? You know, I I really honestly just create cocktails that I would want to look at and that I think would be fun and, and unique. And I think Instagram has been a great platform for a lot, a lot of people. Um, I think it's given people the ability to be successful in fields that necessarily weren't always, you know, thought of as creative or, you know, interesting. Um and for us in particular, you know, the sort of that food trend, the food porn, if you will, that started, you know, five, six, seven years ago where people were trying to create, you know, unique food items that would get, you know, posted and, and then reposted. Um, you know, we saw that need for drinks. And I think the challenge that we've run into with cocktails and, you know, we're trying to sort of break that barrier is, for instance, when you see a hamburger, right? Everybody knows what a hamburger tastes like. You've had it before. You know exactly what it tastes like. You know what it smells like. You know what it feels like when you eat it. So when you see a hamburger, you can relate to that. When you see a pink drink, it looks pretty, but you can't relate a flavor or a sense to that. It just looks like a pink drink. And so you kind of have to, you know, explain what it is that's in that drink. And so that descriptor, that description of the actual cocktail is important. And for us, we want it to be delicious, but also visually appealing as well. And so creating those two things together has sort of been, you know, our trademark to be able to create something that's not only delicious, but also, you know, visually, uh, you know, impressive. And I think it's interesting where you say you can't describe what a like what a pink drink tastes like. Mm -hmm. Like I can go someplace and someone's like, you should try the old fashioned. And I understand what an old fashioned tastes like. Right. But your your creations are definitely an adventure. Thank you. Like you, um, like you have one that is a. I don't. I don't, wouldn't even know what it tastes like, but it's a gumball machine. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, f for me in particular, I, I don't necessarily think about a cocktail from the the sense of you know what's it going to taste like? For me, it's always about the experience, right? What's it going to evoke from that person? So I think about it kind of backwards. We start backwards. It's like, what kind of concept do we want to create? And doing this Willy Wonka bar, I said to myself, there has to be a drink in a gumball machine. Like it just has to happen. And then how do we make that happen? So I was fortunate enough, you know, I do a lot of sourcing. Um, it's something that I kind of learned in college and have taken with me. And so I'm always looking for possibilities of things. And the gumball machines just kind of fell into my lap. And we bought, there was only 45 on the internet anywhere. And we bought them all. And uh, and then it's like, when once you get this gumball machine, how do you create the cocktail that goes inside of that? What's it going to feel like? And for us, it was like, well, it has to be clear because you need to see the gumballs floating. If you do a dark drink, it's going to look, weird and muddy and it's not going to have that effect you want to see like dystopian floating. right so you want to see the floating gumball so then it's like how do we make a clear cocktail how do we make it taste good so it's kind of working backwards and what i like about your philosophy and your approach to instagram like you see all of these different like instagram pop-ups where people literally go to say they were there mm -hmm. and you're kind of expanding on that where you're showing these interesting creations that you can you know, that's Instagram porn, but also an experience that you can't really describe. It's all palatable. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's really, 
again, it's about the experience and you can see something online and, and there's nothing worse for me than getting, you know, food catfished. Right. And, and I mean that in the sense of when you see a Big Mac on a commercial, it looks like the best Big Mac you've ever seen in your <laughs> life. Like you just want to just grab it and just start eating it. When you go to McDonald's and you buy yourself a Big Mac and you open up that packaging, it's just not the Big Mac that you saw. And there's nothing worse than doing that with food. And so, you know, we, we really try to keep the integrity of what we put out there online and make sure that when people see it and they're excited about it and they come to the bar to actually try it, it's exactly what they're seeing. Now, I want to go back. You uh, you didn't start in the in the bar service industry before mm-hmm. the, in another lifetime. You were in um, a real estate agent and then in wealth management. Yeah. I mean, it sounds sexy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've uh, I've I've lived many lives. I'm kind of like a cat. I don't know what life I'm on right now, but I think I have a few more left. Um, but yeah, I mean, starting out, I, well, before that, if you really want to take it back. Oh, let's go in yeah, that time machine. Please. Uh, I'm really going to date myself and also embarrass myself right now. <laughs> um, I used to go by the name DJ Code E. Mm-hmm. So I was a bi coastal DJ, professional DJ for about 15 years. I uh, used to fly back from New York to LA. And, you know, at the time when nightclubs were all the rage. Uh, yeah, I was, I was a DJ and so I, I lived a very nice life. Um, but I needed something to keep structure during the day. And so I found all of these jobs that would keep me in an office, uh, keep me kind of sane and keep me kind of stable. And yeah, I went, I got my real estate license, you know, many, many years ago and I was selling commercial properties in New York and all five boroughs and that kind of ran its course. And I was going to move out to LA full time DJ out there. I had a really great gig with a couple of, you know, somewhat, you know, C-list, B-list celebrities. And um, I got a call from my cousin who has always been my idol. And he said, your father told me that you're trying to move out to LA. I'm here to stop you. And I said, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. (laughs) And he said, well, I have a job that I I think you might be interested in. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm in finance. I said, no thanks. And I was about to hang up and he's like, this is how much money I make. I said, I'll be in tomorrow for an interview. (laughs) And so I, I went in and I interviewed. They hired me on the spot. And uh, yeah, and so I I am a licensed real estate broker. I have my Series 7 and my 63, and I also have a bartending license. Uh, and uh, my parents are really proud because I'm putting all of those to no use. <laughs> so he convinced you to go into finance. Mm-hmm. And how long did you do that? Uh, I did it for about three and a half years until I couldn't do it anymore. Um, it was, it was for me, it was a burnout job. Um, and what ended up happening really was you know, I was, I was doing it and, and I think the DJing thing kind of took its course and I just kind of wanted to focus on, you know, more of a stable job. And, um, there came a point and I remember it specifically, there was a day where I was coming on the path train cause it was in Jersey city and I looked up and everybody was reading wall street journal. And then I looked down and I was reading Bon Appetit magazine. And I just said to myself, something's not right here. It just doesn't feel right. And so I quit my job. And um, I kind of needed like a little break. I was burnt out. I was making like 400 cold calls a day, getting hung up on 390 times. And I just needed to really kind of follow my passion, which has always been hospitality. I worked for Tim and Nina Zagat, um, the Zagat Guide, before it got bought out by Google when it was actually like a thing that was tangible in your hands that you would read and look for the best restaurants in the city. And that always kind of got me interested. And I was always the guy that people would call and say, hey, where's the best place to eat? You know, do you have any recommendations? And so I just said, I really want to try and get into this like food world, but I didn't know how. Um, The one thing I knew was that I knew how to drink. And so I took a few months off. I traveled, came back, and there was a Thai restaurant down the street. I used to live on 62nd and 2nd, Upper East Side. And there was a Thai restaurant opening, and I walked in, put on a nice little suit and tie, took my resume, and... uh, they said, you have no experience. And I said, I'm a quick learner. They said, what position? I said, what do you have? They said, bartender. (laughs) I said, done. And I kid you not, I went home and the next two days straight without barely sleeping, I just watched YouTube videos on how to bartend. I was going to say, and I, and it's amazing that not only did you walk into a place and get a bartender, um, a position because usually if if you're a bartender you've taken classes you have a certificate mm-hmm. and you're you have a serve safe uh certificate so mm-hmm. you won't poison anyone <laughs> it's important uh, these days <laughs> when did you become like passionate about bartending so you worked at the thai restaurant 
Yeah. And then is that where you caught the bug or did you go? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so it's funny, right? So, you know, I, I spent those like two days learning how to bartend on YouTube and I learned the basics. And then actually what I did was from there, uh, I bought the bartender's Bible, which is a thousand and one recipes and I would keep it down in the walk-in. And so anytime somebody would ask me for a classic cocktail, I'd say, just give me one moment. I just have to go <laughs> grab a bottle and I'd run downstairs and I'd find the recipe in the book because I don't want to do it in front of them because that whole, again, performance art, right? As soon as you start your shift, you're on, yeah. you're on stage. And as soon as you're done, you're off stage. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of get lost is they don't realize that it's a performance. Like you're there to, to perform as whatever it is your role is and you have to do it to the best of your ability. And like nobody wants to go see Hamilton and see, you know, Lin-Manuel like in a crap mood. You know what I mean? Like he needs to be on point every night because that's what you're expecting. So when you go to a restaurant, you don't expect your server to be in a pissy mood, um, you know, putting it on you. Like you're there for the facade of like, this is a high end restaurant. I'm paying a lot of money and I want to have that experience. And so, you know, I wanted to keep that facade. So I'd go downstairs, I'd find the recipe and I'd come up and then I'd make them their cocktail. And for me, I think I, I really did get that high of creating something for somebody and then watching their reaction. Um, you know, hopefully more times out of not, they were happy with it, <laughs> but there's always going to be that time where they're just not happy um, because you didn't read them right or you just for some reason didn't make the cocktail the right way. Um, and it's really my job to make sure I correct that for them. Yeah, but like when did you kind of, when Become did you decide passionate? that this was it for you? <laughs> so I've worked every job there is to do in a restaurant. Uh -huh. um, I've done everything except be on the line in the kitchen. I just don't think I'm cut out for that just too hot yeah yeah uh and i would cut myself and just not about that <laughs> life so i uh but i've done every job there is to do i've done everything all the way up from manager to general but i think manager. this is more than a job this is a way for you to express yourself too it is i mean it's it's been it's it's a canvas for me and and i think that's what i was always missing after i stopped djing which was sort of my creative outlet um i really you know and that's the thing. And I, and I tell anybody that's interested in changing careers or somebody that's sitting at home listening to this and they're saying to themselves, like, you know, oh, I work a nine to five. I have the same job. I do the same routine every day. My outlet is maybe the gym or when we go out to dinner and they're just like, you know, I'm not happy with what I do. Think about what your passion is and follow it. And it's scary. Like change is scary. I'm not going to lie. Like leaving a stable, nice job, you know, was scary. Um, but in the last seven years, I really have not felt like I've worked one day in my life. And um, I, I'm blessed and I'm grateful and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to do what I do. And I think for me, like once I started realizing that this is something that I could make a career out of and be able to express myself in a glass, that's when I was like, okay. In several kinds of glass. Several, yeah, many different <laughs> types of glasses. And like, and for me too, I think having a, a background in finance and, and being able to work every job there is to do in a restaurant, like if there was something that was to go out in a restaurant, whether, you know, the host doesn't show up or the manager's sick or, you know, the, the busboy's out, I mean, I can pick that job up. All of these experiences kind of lend itself to the path you're on. Yeah. Which is interesting. Like I have a friend who's like, my entire nine to five is office space. And mm -hmm. then I guess I'll play in a wedding band on the weekends. And I'm like, <laughs> God, that sounds miserable. <laughs> and it's because he doesn't want to take a chance. Yeah. And I think like when you lose is when you don't take a chance on yourself. So what was that Shh. moment when like you took that job in finance? Were you like, I guess I'll be a DJ on the weekend. And that just kind of dissolved for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought I would be able to work two jobs. Um, and what I realized was, you know, it's great to work two jobs. And I and I commend anybody that works multiple jobs. And, and I think, you know, it's not an easy task. Um, but for me, like when I'm in something, I give it my all. And like, that's my, yeah. I'm like laser beam focused on it. And I was finding that like, I was kind of focused on finance and I was like kind of focused on DJing but neither of them I was fully excelling in because I just wasn't giving it 100%. tore you apart. Yeah, and, and um, to be fair and to be honest, for me, like I kind of had like a mini nervous breakdown. Yeah. Um, it just, it took a toll on me and, um, you know, I think it's important for a lot of people who are unhappy because, listen, our jobs are 80% of what we do during the day because we work the job, right, which is like 50 to 60% of the day. And then when we come home, we complain about the job, right? So that's like another 20%. And so the only time that we're not thinking about our job is when we're sleeping, but 
I used to have nightmares, nightmares about my job. <laughs> so, so it's almost a hundred percent of your day, right? Yeah. But I think, you know, for me, I just, I hit a breaking point where I was like, I need to do something where I can take my creative outlet and, and like vomit it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I just need to like, it was like inside of me and I was like, I got to let this out. And I did, you know, it was just, it was too, what I was doing was too linear. It was like too straightforward of what, you know, the creative aspect of finance or real estate or any corporate job. Um, on top of that too, there was a lot of jobs that I got fired from because I was always trying to think outside of the box and people don't like that. No. People, people want you to stay in their box. They want you to just stay like, this is what I need you to do and just do it. And and don't, I don't want you to get weird about it. Just do it. Um, and for me, I was like, we can make things better. We can make them brighter. We can make them, you know? And they're like, we just did make things better. Pack up your stuff and get yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of times where it just, there wasn't a right click. Um, and it just kind of taught me, I, I just need to work for myself. I, yeah. I need to be the one, if I'm going to make mistakes or if I'm going to, you know, do something like I want to take the credit for it. And I also want to be the one that says, you know what? I screwed up. I'm sorry. Um, and I got tired of other people doing things and I had to take the blame for it. So when you pivot from, uh, I guess, you know, bartending to creating your own company and brand. Yeah. How did you go about that? Um, yeah, I mean, for, for me, I, you know, I loved what I did working behind the bar and I enjoyed sort of that face-to-face interaction. Um, we started getting a lot of requests to do events for regulars. And so, you know, we would start putting together these, you know, signature cocktails and do different bars and being in the industry and going to so many events, and especially when I was DJing and, you know, seeing the different types of events that would go on. There's always two things that people cared about. What's the food and what's the music? Right. And so the bar was always an afterthought. You know, you could go and get your vodka soda or gin and tonic and that was it. And I always found that there was a real need to elevate the bar experience and bring that up. So now it would be food, music and drinks. Um, and I just felt like there was this opportunity to really add, you know, something that would bring the the events to a different level. Um, and so we created Muddling Memories about 2015 um and it really didn't start to kind of take off until 2017 um only because you know i was still working at restaurants and i couldn't give them my full attention but um yeah there's just always this need to bring the bar to the next level and for us it's not just about the cocktails like we curate the entire bar experience so we'll customize the bar to look and feel like any type of theme whether it's a tiki theme with you know tropical plants or whether it's you know a uh, we just did something for a client where it was um, like a fantasy theme. And so we created this Ooh. entire living bar with moss and flowers. And then we had like dry ice floating over it. Um, and people got to pick the drinks off of the table to oh. look like they were pulling the flowers. It's crazy. I mean, it's just something where you're just like, I've never seen that before. And, and that's what we're trying to achieve. You know, we're trying to put the fun back in drinking. And I think it for a little while, I got a little too serious. Yeah. Um, and I still love, you know, going to classic cocktail bars and getting that kind of stuff. But we really want to just kind of bring that fun back into the bar. And it's it's very approachable, too, when you guys do it. But what was your fourth and goal moment when you're like, I need to do this full time as opposed to doing both? Like when I just put my head down and put the ball across the And you're the like, line, yeah. I'm betting on me. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, two years ago... Um, I was not, I, I don't want to say I was getting burnt out, you know, doing six six days a week behind the bar, but I slowly started cutting my hours back and back and back. Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of consulting. We've opened up a lot of bar programs for a lot of hotels and, and restaurants and bars around, you know, the Tri-State area. And then now we're starting to branch out outside of that and do more West Coast and middle, you know, middle of the USA. I, uh, I just knew I had to go all in. Like it was the kind of thing where it's like, if you don't do it now, it's never going to happen. Yeah, and um, I, I I hate to have regret, and so I try to always live in the moment. And I just kind of wanted to put myself out there and say, look, I'm either going to be super successful doing this and like crush it, or I'm going to, you know, just flop. And I think it's important to have that. Ex- you had that experience earlier in your career too. Yeah. And like, I'm sure that helped you make this decision where you're like, if I fail, I fail, but at least I'm going to do it or try it. You know what? Like, I've gotten rejected enough in my life yeah. that like I can kind of take it in and be like, all right, I can deal with this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like after the first few times, you know, especially in finance, when you're 
calling people and you're like, hi, I'm trying to get you to yeah. send me a million dollars in five minutes. Uh, and they say horrible, horrible things to you that, you know, you hope you never hear <laughs> um, ever again. But um, that that fear of rejection, nobody wants to feel it. It's a yeah. terrible thing. I, trust me, I get it. Um, but if you don't take chances, you'll never know what you're able to do. And I suggest to anybody that's out there that's looking to do something different or looking to have a side hustle or just trying to find something new, take a chance, be excited about it. And if you're passionate about it, I promise you, you'll be successful. So you launched Muddling Memories. Yeah. How did you go about spreading the word? Well, so that's a really interesting question. And I'm glad you asked that. Uh, So is my producer. Yeah, good. (laughs) (laughs) Take two. Uh, we, uh, We haven't yet. Okay. And by that, I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of companies grow too quickly um, and have too many, you know, growing pains and and operationally haven't been able to keep up with the demand. And so we've slowly, organically been sort of getting our name out there. We're working with a lot of great companies um, that we have good relationships with. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to work with some great brands and some great PR companies that have gotten us some really good press. Um, so I think our name's out there. Um, but we actually just did a really big event for a lot of the top wedding planners in New York and outside of New York. And every single person said to us, how come we've never heard of you? And I said, well, that's on purpose because we haven't really put ourselves out there. Um, and, you know, once people see what we do and understand, you know, the opportunity to bring an elevated bar experience to their clients, they're all over it and yeah. they're excited to work with us. And, you know, we, we have a team of 30 right now. Um, That's impressive. Thank you. We work with some of the top bartenders in New York City and we're working to, you know, grow that outside of New York. But, you know, we pull from all the top cocktail bars. We have, you know, if you want to use the word mixologist, we have, you know, top mixologists. We have Cicerones. So anybody that's looking for beer experience. Ah, that's a thing? It's a thing. Whoa. It's it's like the sommelier of uh, beer. Yeah. And then we also have a sake sommelier as well. What are those guys called? That's a good question. I just call them sake sommeliers. Okay. Yeah, sake professionals. Um, but yeah, we you know we have a great team, and then we also have a f- designer and fabricator. So we've you know designed you know all types of crazy stuff. We just did an event for a client where we created a three tiered rose ring toss. So guests get to come and throw ring toss on this like crazy bottled three tiered rose, beautiful looking thing. And then when they hit it, uh, their reward is a glass of rose. And if they hit the big one on top, they get a glass of champagne. So it's very fun and interactive and it keeps people drinking and it keeps people engaged. But um, like I said, we're just trying to create cool stuff and get people to say, wow, that's amazing. We want to work with them. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, What advice would you give uh, the Cody of yesteryear? Of yesteryear, I would say you know, I was truthfully, I was trying to do what I felt other people wanted me to do. Like I was doing jobs and I was living a life that, you know, I grew up in Westchester. I know you grew up on Long Island. Um, from, I got prior, so we got to cut that out. Yeah. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, for, like where I grew up, there's really three directions. It's banker, doctor, yeah. or attorney, right? Lawyer. Um, and so, you know, I kind of went well, at least one of those routes in finance. And then I also did, you know, real estate. So it's kind of, you know, hand in hand. Um, and that's just kind of the direction, the path that I thought I was supposed to go on. And, you know, that's kind of what you're fed, you know, yeah. in my sort of. That's your track. That's my track. Right. And so I did that and I was, I was working for somebody else. I wasn't working for myself and you can fake it for so long. At least I can, like I could, most of those jobs I was like 18 months in, it was still, you know, this like honeymoon phase. I was still so happy. I love going into work. And then slowly I was like, I don't really care about telling somebody about like a fixed income that's going to net them 3% and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, so, um, it was a great experience. I learned a lot from it, but at the end of the day, I just knew that I needed to do something that made me happy and hospitality, food, drinking, cocktails, you know, the, the experience. I mean, we spend so much of our time thinking about food, thinking about where we're going to eat, what we're going to eat. Right. Like, you know, there's probably people right now that are like, what am I doing for lunch? I got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, like I can't wait for that 30 minute break where I get to leave the office yeah. and then like five o'clock's coming. Where are we drinking? What am I having for dinner? Right? Like it's, and it's just so much of our, our life and our world. I mean, food is the one thing that can tie two people from two different cultures together that don't speak either of the languages. But if I bring you food and a hamburger and somebody else brings me, you know, something from their culture, we can bond over that. And I just think it's a really strong thing to be in this industry. And I'm, I'm very grateful and very blessed and very happy. And um, 
we need more hospitality professionals. And I think in this industry, we have a lot of part-timers, people that do it on the side to earn a income and they have, you know, different jobs outside of that. But I think the hospitality industry is a wonderful industry. And if anybody's interested in joining it, I highly suggest they do. Uh, and don't be afraid to just go and dive right in and start, you know, from the bottom and work your way up. What advice would you give those guys that are, or I should say, what advice would you give those people that are looking to kind of like build their own brand in hospitality? Yeah. In the I hospitality mean, business. Listen, if it, I, I wish I had the, the million dollar answer because branding is just such a important part of our day to day life. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, think about how many brands we see and how much brands mm -hmm. we talk about. And I mean, you know, there's something called social currency. I'm reading this great book right now. And it's like during the day, I think we, we mentioned about 20 to 25 different brands that we're excited about and we want to tell somebody else about because it makes us look cooler when they try it. And they're like, Oh yeah, that was great. Thank you so much for that suggestion. Like that, that need for, you know, positive reinforcement yeah. of, you know, so, uh, I would just say like branding, just stay true to what you're doing, be unique, be different. Um, I mean, learn from what people are doing, take aspects of that and make it your own. Um, and just really, you know, for me, love what you do. And if you love what you do, you'll succeed. Uh, and if you want to look at uh, Cody's barware or I'm sure, you, I don't know, you're going to sell them on your website, right? Yeah. I mean, if anybody, listen, if anybody's looking to elevate their bar experience, whether it's for events, whether it's for, you know, if they own restaurants or bars, uh, if they're just looking for stuff for the home bar, shoot us an email. Our website's muddlingmemories.com or shoot me a DM on Instagram at muddlingmemories. Uh, we have a lot of cool, unique things uh, coming up and then also available um, so yeah, hit cool. us up. Thanks for listening to 137 PM live from the bar cart. Amazing story with Cody, Matt. Talk about risking it all to follow your passion. Yeah. He walked away from a lucrative gig as a financial advisor because he just wasn't passionate about it. Muddling memories is proof that you can make a great living following your passion and they're blowing up. Check out some of their amazing creations on Instagram. Just look up muddling memories, all one word. Next up is award-winning beverage director, Doug Raquel, and his concepts that bring customers in the door and keep them there. This is 137 PM's Live from the Bar Cart. I'm the senior podcast producer, Matt Bogart, and I'm joined with Doug Raquel of Cork and Kerry Bars. Doug runs and operates three different bars in the New York City area, and I'm just going to pick his brain about being a multi-hyphenate. Uh, now, Doug, can you tell us a little bit about your bars and your kind of philosophy behind cocktails? Sure. Well, uh, I'm in the midst of running three craft cocktail bars just outside New York City. Um, we've opened, we've been fortunate enough to do as well as we have. We've opened three bars over the last three years, about three and a half years. Um, we try to focus on, obviously, high quality ingredients, uh, a dedication to the craft. We really try to be aware of the history and uh, current trends. It's crazy when you say history because I guess cocktail culture really started to have a new awakening for about like, I'm going to say about 10 years, right? It, I think it's been a great time that we got into it. The, our timing could not have been better. Now, how come cocktails are having a moment right now? I think that the craft beer movement really started it. I yeah. think at some point people got tired of the big macro companies making the same handful of brands that all kind of taste the same. And once people started realizing the interesting flavors you could get out of craft beer. They realized there was more out there. So all of a sudden you see this boom in the, in the beer industry as well. You see breweries and microbreweries opening all over the country. I mean, how many in every state? Uh, from there, as people are realizing that beer could taste so many different ways. I mean, wine's had its moment. People realize that th there's more out there than just a whiskey Coke or a vodka soda when you go to the bar. You have a couple of very, a couple, I mean, you have hundreds at this point, hundreds of really clever thoughtful, intelligent bartenders coming through and really trying to put their stamp on the industry. I really think that when you say like craft, I, I never associate craft beers with uh, craft cocktails. And the reason is like when you think of craft beer, you think of uh, different uh, brewmasters doing different notes for different kinds of beers. But when it comes to craft cocktails, I don't think about, uh, I guess, indie brands of liquor. I mean, that's definitely they definitely have taken off. There are a lot more smaller distilleries that have come up. Uh, I'm not saying all of them are particularly good. I think that 
companies maybe take some time to to find their stride. You know, you have a lot of companies trying to join on. Let, let's say the whiskey boom, how how bourbon has really taken off over the last couple of years. How rye has taken off like crazy from you know, percentage wise from where it was. When you have distilleries trying to open and capitalize on bourbon, which is def- by default an aged spirit, it's got to sit in oak for a couple of years until it develops any kind of real oak flavor. They're sort of opening up, starting with their vodkas and gins that you can make right off the still. It's going to take a couple of years for them to really find their groove. I guess time's going to tell. So 10 years ago, you're teaching middle school Spanish. I was. And what made you pivot to uh, opening a bar? Uh, I mean, without getting too in-depth or no, let's get in too depth. many feathers, uh, I wasn't thrilled with the state of education uh-huh. in the country in which I live. Uh, there were a whole bunch of factors but at some point I did not necessarily want to be on the front lines anymore Yeah, where I thought the the children were the ones suffering Okay. so instead I decided to get their parents drunk for a living Uh, I I had been bartending previously and I got a new job with a new company that was opening, it was a a new restaurant that was opening in a local town Uh, I came in just as a bartender I found them on Craigslist and within the first few days that we had opened Spoke with the owner. Uh, he sort of approached me, ended up firing his beverage director and bringing me on instead. So right away, I got to rewrite the menu that I wasn't so thrilled with to begin with. But all of a sudden, we had a, a program that was working that was a little bit more seasonally focused, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more balanced. And uh, over the lifespan of the restaurant, I think the bar ended up doing better numbers than the restaurant did. <laughs> so in that, I ended up becoming close with the man who was the owner, who is now my partner. So uh, we, we decided to open a couple things together. Oh, that's cool. Um, but I just want to go back and like, what was the point in which where you just said, I need to kind of try this full time? I thought the timing was good. I had been in a program previously, you know, behind the bar that sort of stifled my creativity and that I was mm-hmm. trying to do some more interesting things and ownership wasn't having it. So in making that the major life change was sort of coming out of education, going into a new field, like you know, cocktailing. I was excited to be in a location where I could have a little bit more creative control. And once that was a thing, I mean, we, we sort of took off from there. The thing about education, to me at least, it's just a steady job. Like the world will always need teachers. Sure. And you're on a, in, in your case, a tenure track and you can retire somewhat comfortably. When were you like, you know what, it's totally not worth it and I'm going to just roll the dice? Oh, boy. I mean, before before I decided on education, uh, I had considered culinary school for a bit, decided against it again because teaching was such a steady job yeah. and something that I could see a little bit more job security in, which ended up going to shit. I mean, that wasn't a thing either, mm-hmm. but um, I, I sort of had that sort of running through me, trying to look into the more creative space, into that food bev space, and uh, I haven't looked back yet. If you're looking to kind of take days off, how do you kind of make sure that the Doug Burkell touch is on your signature drinks at all times, especially across several locations? I think the best thing that I've been able to do is hire people who I really trust. And I mean, hiring has been probably the hardest thing I've had to do for my business, bringing in people that I think will treat people the right way 100% of the time, bringing in people who can recreate a cocktail 100% of the time and still be creative people on their own. I haven't had much success hiring from, you know, the traditional application interview sort of uh, job posting, but I've had time, you know, over the three and a half years that the business has been up and running, been able to bring in actually customers, people who have come in who have an industry background looking for bar jobs who just happen to be in because they've heard good things about what we do. We have a very good reputation around where we are. So as people come in, I've gotten to know them and people sort of mentioned they may be looking. We were able to talk and maybe bring them in for trial shift and I really surround myself with some fantastic people who treat my program as, as if it were their own. You take pride in, in your I drinks. try to be aware. I, I think I, f- I focus on flavor and balance and experience for sure, uh, you know, the experience of a cocktail. But but would you put uh, experience and hospitality over those drinks in the overall picture of going to a C&K bar? Sure. I mean, yes. I would much rather someone have a great time and a crappy drink. Yeah. But again, we, we also do focus a lot on the drinks. <laughs> we, we try to limit the crappy drinks. When you're when you're creating a cocktail, like one of your award-winning cocktails, can you talk me through like what is going on in your head when you are like, I'm going to make a new cocktail. I mean, I'm going to create something new. 
it's uh, when you sit down to do it, it's not so easy. If, if you if you sit down with the idea of writing a drink on the spot, that, that that's not necessarily how the process usually goes. Sometimes I'll get in a new flavor, a new ingredient, maybe a new bottle, maybe a different fruit comes into season. We'll sort of think on it, like it, it'll be there. And yeah, you know, I, I tried one recently. So this is an interesting spirit called Singani, which is a Bolivian brandy, and we brought it through. And it, it, it's really interesting because it's light. It doesn't have uh, barrel age to it, but we got these interesting notes on the nose of like tropical fruits, like mango and papaya and pineapple. And I thought it was really interesting that uh, a, a clear spirit could have so much of that going for it. So sort of messed around with that and ended up pairing it with some lemon, a little bit of like we use a grapefruit liqueur. I mean, a, a couple different things that would sort of capitalize on the different notes it had. So I didn't plan on writing a drink that day. But I, I found a little inspiration in a new product. Who do you think is doing the next big thing? Like, who is doing it right in the world of cocktails? I guess less of a specific place, but more of an idea. Like, I feel like in order to get people off of their sort of just basic one-on-one cocktails, I think, you know, this is sort of the speakeasy movement and the hidden bar and, like, the bartender is kind of ruling the house and kind of not necessarily passing judgment on what people are drinking, but really trying to get people drinking a little bit differently. I feel like those days are gone. Now that people have opened their eyes and are drinking more interesting spirit in more interesting ways, I think it's time for the bars to be a lot of fun again. You know, I, I think the stuffy cocktail bar is sort of on its way out. So now you see more single spirit focused bars which are really interesting you see places like amoria margo in new york city doing you know it's it's a bitters bar everything they do is brown boozy bitter and stirred it's such an it's such a narrow focus but within that there's so much freedom i think you're seeing a lot more single focus sort of tiki bars popping up you got places like the polynesian just opened in new york city as well um having shown people the light of what cocktails can be uh, so, Doug, before we end today's show, do you have three pointers you would give to anyone looking to start their own bar? Uh, I think I would definitely pass along that as much time as you think it's going to take to open a bar and as much money as you take think it's going to take to open a bar, like triple it right off the bat. Yeah. Make sure you can handle that, plus a little bit more. Things don't go as easily as you think, and no one else works with the same sort of expediency as you will. Um Again, I think that that customer service is more important than anything else you're going to slide across the bar. It, it, it's, it has to be the basis that everything else is built upon. And I, I think taking the time to find the right team is more important than anything else because these are the people that are going to represent you when you can't be there. So it's really important to know that they're going to handle it the right way. How many years do you think someone should uh, have behind the bar before they decide to open their own bar? I don't necessarily think most people should open their own bar. I don't know that that's the natural progression of bartending. Mm-hmm. I think some people are great bartenders and can continue to be great bartenders. Some people go from there into brand positions. Some people go into ownership, but I don't know that the skills for ownership even overlap with bartending. I think you could be a great owner and a crappy bartender, but as long as you understand that about yourself and you're willing to bring on people who can help you, I think that's the most important thing is to realize that you don't know everything. You know, sort of share share the load. Oh, that's smart. If there's one thing you can go back in time and change to make yourself a better bartender or business person, what would it be? Ooh, probably wouldn't have spent all that time and money in education. <laughs> all, all those years of college. Oh, my gosh. Business school would have been great. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Doug, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. This is 1.37 p.m. If you want to own the future, start this minute. Live from the Bar Cart is a Gallery Media Production.